Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. Well, as I was preparing the message this week, I was uh, reminded what a great book Esther really is. It's unfortunate, I think, that it is one of the lesser known books of the Bible. It's short, it's tucked away there in the Old Testament, it's easy to overlook, but uh, I think we're discovering together through this series that there is powerful truth within this story, and I'm so glad we're having a chance to look at it together. In a nutshell, the book of Esther is about an orphaned Jewish girl who was taken in by her cousin, his name was Mordecai, and through an unlikely series of events, she is plucked out of obscurity and finds herself the queen of Persia, the reigning power of the day the wife of King Xerxes, the most powerful man of the day. And ultimately, she would play a role in directing the events of world history. Now, last week, Pastor Ken walked us through that process of becoming queen, how she became the queen of Persia, and how that story reveals the fact that God is in control what the theologians call the providence of God. Even if we cannot see his hand, even if it is not immediately apparent to us, God is always in control and guiding our lives and guiding the world to accomplish his good and perfect will. Now, we're going to continue that look at God's providence, but take it a step further. We're going to look at the fact that God's providential hand is also purposeful. It is not random. God is not guiding and directing history just because he can, just because he's God. And he certainly isn't doing it with a roll of the dice. No, he is taking history in a particular direction. And we're going to see in today's chapters that God gives to each one of us a choice as to whether or not we are going to participate 
in what he is trying to accomplish if we are going to join him in achieving his purposes. So, picking up where we left off last week, Esther is now the queen of Persia. And she is safely ensconced behind the palace walls doing whatever the queen of Persia would do. However, unbeknownst to her, her cousin Mordecai has managed to get into a a, a conflict, a dispute with a fellow by the name of Haman. Now, ordinarily, I don't suppose this would be much of a big deal. People have conflicts and disputes every day. But unfortunately for Mordecai, Haman just happens to be the top noble in King Xerxes' court. He is a favorite of King Xerxes. And Haman is not afraid, he is not above using whatever influence he has with the king to get what he wants. And even worse for Mordecai, Haman is a prideful, spiteful, mean man. And as this conflict between the two of them grows, he decides that he is going to punish Mordecai's insolence. And not only is he going to punish Mordecai, but he is going to do what he has to in order to wipe out the entire Jewish race. And so he enters into conference with King Xerxes and he persuades him, this is really what we need to do. I mean, the Jews are nothing but a blot on your kingdom. And I think it will be good for the treasury of the kingdom if we can just get rid of all of the Jews. And so Xerxes signs on the dotted line and an edict is issued that all Jews everywhere are to be destroyed. Well, you can imagine how Mordecai must have felt, how he must have responded. I mean, it was just this personal thing between himself and Haman and now the fate of his entire race hangs in the balance. I'm sure Mordecai was mortified to learn what was going to happen. But as we're going to see, Mordecai was a pretty smart old bird, a wily character. And he wasn't one just to sit around and twiddle his thumbs and fret and worry. No, he was going to take action. He was going to do whatever he could to keep this horrible thing from coming to pass. He was smart enough to know that he couldn't just go marching up to the palace and ask for an appointment with Esther, even though he was her cousin and had raised her. In the eyes of the palace, he was a nobody. They would have told him, you know, beat it, get out of here. So he decides to get her attention through the back door, if you will. A traditional way in Jewish culture to show mourning, to show sadness, Fear, anxiety is uh, to dress oneself in sackcloth and to pour ashes over your head. And so he does just that. He goes out, finds some sackcloth, finds some ashes, and he plants himself at the front gate of the palace, right there for everybody to see, and begins to weep and wail and mourn over the fate of the Jewish people. It's kind of hard to overlook somebody at your front door weeping and wailing in sackcloth and ashes. And sure enough, some of the servants of the palace see what is going on. And apparently they knew there was some connection between Mordecai and Esther because they went to Esther and said, hey, don't know if you're aware of this, 
But your cousin Mordecai, uh, he's out there at the front door and he's really making a spectacle of himself. Just thought you might want to know. And the fact of the matter was she didn't know because being a queen in those days didn't mean that you were in the know. It meant that you were cloistered away. You were put away until Xerxes decided it was time for you to come out. So she didn't know what was going on. But when she hears that Mordecai is in this stressful, distressful state, she immediately sends her servant out to find out what's going on. His name was Hathak. So Hathak goes out to the gate. Mordecai, Esther wants to know, what's up? Why, why, are you, why are you doing this? Why are you behaving this way? He says, are you kidding me? Have you not heard? This edict has gone out that every Jew everywhere is to be killed. And we got to do something about it. I, please go back to Esther. Go back to her and plead with her. Ask her, please, please use whatever influence you can to get this edict repealed. So Hathak goes back and reports this to Esther. And ordinarily, you think it would be a, a no-brainer for Esther. I mean, after all, this is Mordecai whom she loves, her cousin and father figure. This is her people with whom she was raised and whom she identifies. So you would think it would have been an easy decision. However, things are just a bit more complicated than that. Look with me at chapter 4, verse 9. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. So Esther doesn't exactly say no, but she doesn't exactly say yes either. She sends this rather oblique message to Mordecai saying, okay, it, the situation isn't what you think it is in here, and I stand to pay a pretty high price if I go and do what you're asking me to do. Well, Mordecai is not to be put off. And he reminds her of two very strategic, very important truths. First of all, he says to her, look, don't think for a minute, just because you're the queen, that you're going to get out of this thing scot-free. No way. You're a Jew as well. And that will not go unnoticed. You will pay the price just like all the rest of us. Secondly, and more importantly, he says to her, could it not be that the only reason 
you are queen is for this moment? I mean, why on earth were you picked? You are the most obscure, out-of-the-way little girl possible. I don't think it was a coincidence. I think there is a very good reason that you are queen, and it is for this moment. Well, I am sure when Esther received those words, her heart was torn. You talk about being between a rock and a hard place. I mean, on the one hand, she's probably thinking to herself, okay, despite what Mordecai said, I think my chances are pretty good if I just don't say anything. Just let events unfold as they will, keep my mouth shut, and I'm probably going to be okay. I mean, after all, I'm the queen, and he thinks I'm beautiful, so I might want to go that way. But then on the other hand, I love Mordecai. He was so good to me when I was in desperate need, and I love my people. What on earth was she going to do? All of us who love God, who have a serious relationship with God, at some point in time are going to find ourselves in an Esther moment. A, a decision is going to loom before us, calling upon us to choose between what is right and what is easy. And granted, it may not be on the same scale as Esther's. In fact, I can guarantee you that it, it will not be. But that does not diminish the significance of the decision for you as an individual and for others as well. Because here's the thing about the choices in life we make, our decisions. They are simultaneously shaping us and revealing who we are to the world. Our choices matter. They say something about who we are. And furthermore, we never know, we never know how God might use our obedience. I'm sure Esther did not have the foggiest notion what God might possibly do if she were to choose the right over the easy. And honestly, neither do we. Conversely, we never know what the impact of our disobedience may be, but here's one thing that is absolutely for sure. We do not make our choices in isolation, in a vacuum, and the consequences of the choices we make flow outward and impact the lives of others for the good or for the bad. Back between the years of, of college and seminary, about a two-year stretch, I needed to earn some money in order to go to seminary, so I went back to work as an electrician, got a job in a shop where there were about a dozen or so of us, and as it turned out, I was the only believer in the shop, the only Christian, and uh, all of my coworkers knew that I was a short-termer, that this was not a career move for me, that my long-term goal was to go to seminary and, and become a pastor. For some reason, this really bugged two or three of my coworkers. I, I'm not exactly sure why, but they just resented the fact that I was a Christian, and they especially resented the fact that I, I wanted to be 
a pastor. And it wasn't like I went around trumpeting that every single day. I didn't hide it from anybody, but I didn't make a big deal about it. But nevertheless, they didn't like it. And so one day, three of them got together and came up with a scheme to test me. They went out and they bought a pornographic magazine. This was pre-internet days. And they brought it to work and they put it in the break room on the table. Place where we went for breaks and and for lunch. Because they knew at some point in time I, I would go in there and they laid in wait. And eventually, I I did go in the break room. And I wish that I could tell you that I just walked right by that magazine and didn't give it another thought. But I didn't. I picked it up. And I looked at it. And immediately, the three of them came crashing into the break room. Aha, we caught you. We knew we would get you eventually, preacher boy. You are nothing but a phony. You are no better than the rest of us. I thought to myself, well, I could have told you that and saved you the trouble of (laughs) buying a magazine. But there was no denying it. I mean, I I had failed. And there was nothing for me to do but own that, confess that to them and to God, to repent and to commit to doing better in the future. Perhaps you're thinking as as I did for a little while there, you know that this is so unfair. I was set up Not fair at all. Well, guess what? The devil does not play fair. Life is not fair. If we're waiting around for things to be fair, we're going to be sorely disappointed. It's not a matter of fairness. It is a matter of choices. I learned a very important lesson that day. You know, our our Christian talk, our Bible knowledge... Even our good deeds, we we, we can only ride those for so long. Eventually, though, we're going to be called upon to make a choice. And that is going to show who we truly are. The most painful part of that whole experience wasn't so much that I looked at the magazine, as bad as that was, The most painful part was the fact that I had given those guys one more reason not to believe in the gospel. There was nothing that I could do about that. Our choices matter. And they say something about who we are. I was reminded of this truth just a week or so ago. I was watching Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. And at one point... Harry's mentor, Professor, Professor Dumbledore, is, is talking to Harry, and he says to him, it is our choices, Harry, that reveal who we truly are far more than our abilities. It is easy for Christians to depend on their Christian abilities to get them by, to be 
knowledgeable of the scriptures, to talk the right talk, to go to church, to do good deeds. That's window dressing. It's the things that we choose day in and day out that are going to reveal who we are and that are going to impact, for good or for ill, the lives of others. Maybe you're here today and you've made a bad choice. Perhaps it was a long time ago. Maybe it was yesterday. I can empathize. I, I know what it's like to carry heavy burden of guilt over a bad choice. But I want you to be encouraged because if we learn anything from the book of Esther, we learn that our last bad choice does not have to be the last word. There is hope. Our last bad choice does not have to define us. You see, Esther was no super saint. She wasn't wicked, but there was nothing special about her. The temptation is always there to put Bible characters on a pedestal, which they honestly don't deserve and probably would not want. She was a simple, ordinary girl put in difficult circumstances, doing the best she could, but sometimes the best she could was not good enough. That whole process Pastor Ken told us about last week of, of becoming queen, as degrading as it was, it was completely against everything she believed as a Jew. It was completely against covenant laws, Old Testament laws. And yet she did it anyway. She decided to go along in order to get along. She could have stood up and said, no, I'm not going to do this. You say, but Pastor Dan, that, I mean, that probably would have cost her her life. Yes, it probably would have. But I'm thinking about a fellow in the Bible whose name was Daniel, who was also put in a position where he had to choose, will I defy the king or will I be thrown to lions? And he chose the lions. I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three young Jewish men put in a position where they had to choose. Will I defy the king or will I be thrown into a furnace? And they were thrown into the furnace. For whatever reason, in that moment, Esther decided not to make the right choice, but the easy one. And now it comes to the single most important choice of her life. The fate of an entire race is hanging in the balance. What is she going to do? Let's pick up reading in verse 15. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Chapter 5. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. 
The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Then the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given you. So what was the difference? What made the difference? Why was Esther able, even after some bad choices in the past, now able to do the very hard, difficult, right thing instead of the easy thing? She died to herself. That is what made the difference. She died to herself. It was no longer all about Esther, her needs, wants, desires, wishes. She suddenly understood, you know, there is something much bigger going on here than just me. My decisions matter, my decisions count, and they can't always all be about me. She made herself a willing sacrifice for the good of others, and in so doing, died to herself, a remarkably unselfish thing to do. But there's one other thing about Esther that I don't want you to miss. It's, it's easy to overlook. Look once more at chapter 5, verse 1. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. For three agonizing days, Esther went through the process of dying to herself. But on the third day, she raised herself up and she went and did what only she could do to save her people. And thank goodness. Thank goodness she did. Because some 500 years later, Jesus would kneel in a place called Gethsemane and wrestle to the point of sweating blood, wrestle between doing what was right and what was easy. And make no mistake, it was not a snap of a decision even though he was Jesus, he wrestled long in prayer. But finally, Jesus died to himself and was able to pray, not my will, but your will be done. He died to himself. He made himself a willing sacrifice and was therefore able to go and do what only he could do, namely, die to save us. When he was being crucified, I imagine most of the onlookers probably thought to themselves, well, there's just another Jew who managed to get on the wrong side of the empire and now he's paying the price. But Jesus proved them wrong because like Esther, on the third day, he was raised from the dead, demonstrating 
that by dying to himself and dying for us, he had opened the way for the forgiveness of sin and for the hope of eternal life. Through his death, he saved us, but it started by dying to himself. And he calls upon each one of us who name his name, who choose to be his disciple, to follow his example and die to ourselves. To be willing sacrifices for the good of others. And if we choose to do so, there's just no telling what God may choose to do through our obedience. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the examples of men and women like Esther, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and above all, our Lord Jesus, who were willing to do what was right instead of what was easy. And their choices made a difference. Oh God, we ask you, impart to us the grace we need to do likewise. When the easy route is calling us, give us strength to stand firm, to die to ourselves and do what is right that we may ultimately be used for your purposes. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Welcome to Postscript. My name is Michael Sullivan, business administrator here at FaithBridge, and I'm joined by Pastor Dan, Dan Slagle, who just brought us part three of our Esther Business Not As Usual series. Thanks, Dan, for joining us today. Sure thing. Great message this morning. Thank you. Uh, Talking about uh, Esther and this pivotal part of the story where Mordecai comes and says, hey, we, God has brought you to this position for such a time as this, and uh, Esther goes and receives favor, and the rest is history, uh, bringing us on even to Jesus, as you pointed out today. Uh, we only had one question this morning on okay. PostScript that we'll talk through, uh, and it was simply, if God was in control, uh, as we know he is, how could Esther not do what God was directing her to do? Well, that is a good question. And uh, I have two responses to it. The first uh, relates to one's definition of control when you say God is in control. Uh, God's providence, his control over events, does not mean that he is manipulating and directing every single decision of every person's life. We we are free will creatures. Mm And as Pastor Ken and I talked about last week, somehow, some way, and there is mystery to it, our free will cooperates with his sovereignty to accomplish his purposes. So that, that's the first thing I would say is uh, 
what do we mean when we talk about control? Secondly, uh, there was a, a part of the passage that I read that I wasn't able to get to. It was just too, too much stuff and too little time. Sure. You'll recall that uh, when Mordecai uh, plays his last card, so to speak, mm-hmm. with her, uh, one of the things he says to her is, if you don't do it, God is going to raise somebody else up. So it really was not a question as to whether or not Esther would participate in order for God's will to get done. That that was going to happen one way or the other. Mm-hmm. The question was, what would Esther's response be? Mm-hmm. Would she choose what was right or what was easy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, like you pointed out, the same question that comes to us many a day when we're faced with challenges at work, sure. at home, uh, to make the decision. Are we going to obey God and join in on His mission and His purposes, or are we going to go the opposite direction? Yeah. So, well, thanks for being here. Thanks for a good message, yeah. uh, a message that's helpful and clear, as always. Uh, and thank you for joining us here on Postscript. We'll be back next week with part four of our Esther series. Join us back next week. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org slash postscript.